0: Good morning. Good morning. I want to know if you've ever heard this name before. Samuel Pierpont Langley. Anybody ever heard that name? Any, anyone ever heard that name before? Samuel Pierpont Langley. Nobody? It's pretty interesting. There's a reason you haven't heard it, but he, you, you, we, we, we were close to knowing it. I'll explain what I mean. The year was 1900, and Mr. Langley had been given a task. He'd been given an assignment to create something, to create a flying machine. In fact, the War Department of our country gave him a lot of money at the time, $50,000. That was a lot of money in 1900. You were there, right, Jerry? So that, (laughs) so I'm totally getting beat up for that, you know, later. No, that was a lot of money in 1900. Uh, Mr. Langley was also a brilliant guy. He was um, a math teacher at Harvard University. He was also a senior officer at the Smithsonian Institute. I mean, this guy was upper echelon, you know what I mean? Not only that, he had the, the top friends. His friends were Andrew Carnegie, Alexander Graham Bell, You know those names, right? He had powerful friends, a lot of money. And you know what else? He was a rock star in the sense that he was followed by the New York Times. They followed him around because they were just waiting for the moment for him to create the first flying machine, an airplane, and for him to be the first one to pilot a powered aircraft. It was going to happen at any moment, but you don't know his name. There's a reason, it's because he didn't do it, right? Hundreds of miles away in Dayton, Ohio are two brothers with a raggedy bicycle shop. What's their name? The Wright, the Wright brothers. brothers, you know that name, right? They had a little bicycle shop, they had no government funding. In fact, they had no funding. They had no advanced degrees, and not only that, they had no college degrees. They had a small group of people. They. Uh, They had no fancy friends and they sure didn't have the New York Times following them around for this special moment. But on December 17th, 1903, Orville, I think, piloted the very first uh, flight. And to this day, we know their names and their story and not Mr. Langley's. Here's the question, why? He had everything he needed, the finest resources, the finest people, and he didn't pull off what he was, the project he was given to to pull off, to succeed, and yet these brothers did, why? So this is what I think. You see, Mr. Langley was given a job. He was given a task, a project. But the Wright brothers, they had a dream. They knew that if they were to create the very first aircraft, it could change the world forever. If they could just create this aircraft, it could change the world forever. You see, Mr. Lane was focused on the what, and the Wright brothers were focused on the why. There's a book that came out not too long ago by Simon Sinek called The Start With The Why. It's where some of this conversation has come from. And uh, I remember several months ago before I came on as pastor at Temple, I sat with the Activate team and I began to talk to them about this conversation, the difference in the what and the why and where our focus should be. So many churches focus on the what. We focus on maybe our name, we focus on what we do as a church, the services we do, or maybe we focus on the how. That's right, that's our strategy, Sunday school, small groups, our vision, Some of us focus on the who. We got to have the right preacher. We got to have the right worship. We got to have everything just instead of focusing on what matters most, and that's the why. That's the why. Well, if you're keeping up this morning, I, I gave you some notes that you could fill in today. The very first one here is this The why of the church, the reason we do what we do, is the great commission of Jesus. Everything we do as a church, everything we do, every penny we spend, every message we preach, every song we sing, every lesson we learn should be filtered through the why of the church. Why do we exist? Let's take a look at it, can we? This is uh, Matthew 8, 28. Verse 18, this is the great commission of Jesus, and he says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's why. It's the why. It ought to be the thing that gets us up in the morning. It ought to be the thing that we leave here with a passion, a burning passion for, to make him known, to know him and make him known. It's the why of the church. Well, listen, as we think through as a church the why, what's important to us, and we truly settle in our hearts that that is, in fact, the most important thing we do, we have to begin to vision and dream about the kind of culture we want as a church so that we can accomplish the why. Why? So we're going we're to begin our conversation today. We start a series called The Why, Now You Know What It's About. And today we're going to just kind of begin to walk through the beginning parts of our vision. But before we get into the conversation, I want us just to read the vision together. Can we do that? We're going to read the vision of South City Church. Now listen, if it's not up here, it is on your bulletin, on the front of your bulletin. Everybody with me? This means yes, this means no. Getting a little deer in the headlights kind of action this morning. You Ready? Let's read this together, can we? South City Church exists to love God and all people by becoming authentic disciples who make disciples for the glory of God and the good of the city. I'm going to give you about a week to memorize it, but for now, let's just read it again, okay? Here we go. South City Church exists to love God and all people by becoming authentic disciples who make disciples for the glory of God and the good of the city." So this morning I want us just to take a little portion of that, okay? South City Church exists to love God. We exist to love God. What does that mean for us? Well, I'm gonna look at a conversation that Jesus had uh, with a guy, we know him as a lawyer, He's not kind of lawyer that you may be familiar with. There's a different kind of lawyer. Uh, But we see it in in Mark chapter 12, verse 29 and 30. Let's read this. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and and seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, he asked him, hey, which which commandment is most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength." See, this guy's job was to focus on the law. He knew the law, 613 commandments in the Jewish law. He knew them. And so, in this moment, he's trying to trick up Jesus. He's trying to to see what he's going to mess up here. Jesus takes the conversation back to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, where Moses says this very same thing. And listen, what I want us to see this morning is so interesting to me. The very first thing that Moses says and Jesus repeats, he says, love. Love the Lord your God. Listen, the word love is so interesting to me. He could have he picked a different word, right? Obey the Lord your God. I mean, it makes sense, right? Follow the Lord your God. Keep up with the rules of the Lord your I mean, there's several different options he could have chosen, but he didn't. He chose the word love. The word love is a term we use in what? In relationships. And we see from the beginning of his creation, from the time he created us, God has moved toward us in relationship, right? We see it even in Genesis. He's moved toward us in relationship. God didn't just want a creation. He wanted a connection. He didn't just want a creation. He wanted a connection. He didn't want minions. My girls love that movie about the minions, you know? He didn't want minions. He wanted relationship. After uh, Adam and Eve have disobeyed, they've They've fallen. They've, they've eaten of the fruit that God said don't eat. I love this story in Scripture in Genesis 3 where it, just, it says that God comes looking for them. Now, did God know where they were? Yeah. Did God know what they had done? Yeah. It's kind of like when I walk in sometimes in the living room and I can see half of my girls' bodies around the couch and the other half's peeking around and I go where am I, honey, where did the girls go? I, I can't find them. I don't know where they, you know. And then I go around and tickle them or whatever. I don't, I don't think it was quite that sort of a moment. But, but God knew. He knew where they were. He was moving toward us in relationship. He was moving toward us. And he he begins to explain to them the curses, right? This is what you've done, and this is what's going to take place because of what you've done, right? And then after that, we see this little tiny section of Scripture is so awesome. It's not a lot of fanfare in Genesis, but it just says, and then the Lord prepared for them clothes or coverings of skin, and he covered their nakedness. I want you to know what happened in this moment is God saw their need, their great need, their shame, and because he loved, because he was moving towards us and them in relationship, God spilled the first blood in the garden. There was no death, and yet God spilled the blood of his own creation to cover his people. And we talk about story all the time, right? Well, this is part of the story. This is our great author showing us a foreshadowing of the fact that he will again spill blood to cover our needs, our great need of shame and sin. And he will cover us through the sacrifice and blood of Jesus. He will clothe us, the word says, in righteousness, right? God is moving toward us in relationship. Jesus tells this lawyer, yeah, there's, there's one, there's one commandment that is the most important. It is most important of all these. So let's, let's look at that. Can we look at that together? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. Now I want us just to take a look here at the beginning of this. Love the Lord your God. So the Lord, right? That is Yahweh. That means a covenant-keeping God. And then we see the Lord your God, that is Elohim, which is almighty, all-powerful. But what's so interesting between a covenant-keeping God and the almighty and all-powerful God is this little word that matters to us today. Your. The Lord your God. He is near. He's not far off. Jesus died for the sins of the world, but He also died for your sins. He's a personal God. He is near. He is moving towards us in relationship. And He says, with all your heart. The very first thing He says to love Him with is our hearts. You know, Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 4.23, it says, guard your heart, right? In fact, it says, above all else, everything else, guard your heart, because out of it flows the wellsprings of life. Jesus is saying, this is the most important thing. If I can have this, I can begin to get all of you. The very first thing we're to love the Lord with is our heart. What does that mean? It means with every feeling, with every affection, with every passion we have, With all of our hearts, we love Him. And then we're to love Him with all of our soul. Listen to this. Genesis 2-7 says this. It says, uh, Yahweh God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul, a living creature. What does that mean? It means with all of our emotion, with all of our essence, who we are, with the very breath in our lungs— With our very being, we are to love the Lord with everything. And he says, with all your mind, right? With all your thoughts, with all your will, with all your understanding. Paul talks about our mind. He says, take captive every thought, right? And then he tells us in Philippians 4, 8, he says, think on these things. He says, whatever's true, whatever's honorable. Whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And listen, if there's one thing that is pure and honorable and lovely and excellent and worthy of praise, it's for us to think about our God. Amen? For us to focus all of our mind on who He is. And then... He takes it down and says, with all of your strength. That means with all of our energy, all of our power, all of our effort, and all of our resources. You know, in just this little verse, God has shown us he doesn't want just a little piece. Uh, just not just give me an hour here, an hour there, a little of your time, a little of this, a little of that. No, he's saying, I want all of you. Second place won't do, 10% won't do, I want 100% with all of your heart. I think it's even interesting the way this is written. It doesn't say, with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, does it? There There was, for some reason, there was a need to say, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, with everything you have and everything you are, love me. Here's my question for us this morning, church. Is that us? Is it you? Is it me? Do people define who I am but my love for Jesus? I sure pray that they will. And I pray that for us as a church, that they would go, that church down there, South City Church, those people, man, they love God. They love God. But you know what? It starts with us. It starts with us, individually, each one of us. Do we love with all that we have, with all that we are? Here's another reason that we love God. Listen, we love God because He's trustworthy. We can trust Him. And I know that, listen, even as I say that, even as I say those words, He's trustworthy, some of you right now are going, huh, yeah. In other words, every one of us at one time or another, we've been broken. We've been devastated. We've been wounded. We've been hurt. You've walked through a difficult divorce or the loss of a loved one or loss of a job, loss of a friendship, worrying whether you're going to be able to make a bill or not or, or your house payment or whatever the case may be. We've all been there and we've probably at one time or another all said, really, God? Really? And for whatever reason, we've equated our struggle and our difficulty with God. But He didn't cause the problem. He wants to fix it. And He wants to walk through it with you. God is trustworthy. He's a trustworthy God. And you know what? (laughs) He wants to use that brokenness, He wants to use that loss. That difficulty, he wants to use it for his glory if we love him. Some some of you think, well, I just had to walk through that. I don't want to talk about it. That was that season of my life. No, 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 no. God won't waste your brokenness. He won't waste your difficulty. He won't waste a tear. He won't waste it if we love him. That's what Romans says. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, All things work together for those who are called according to His purpose. If we love Him, if we're living for Him, we're about His purposes. If that's the case, He wants to take our brokenness and use it for His glory. He wants to take that divorce. He wants to take that broken season of your life and use it to mold you into the image of Jesus. And you know what? Maybe He's already done that, and you're over it. Then you know what He does? He takes that brokenness, and you don't have to be ashamed of it and hide it anymore. I I used to be a drug addict down here, or I used to be an alcoholic down here. I used to do this. I used to do that. You know what? We can be transparent because God is transforming us, and He has forgiven us. And then He wants to use us and our stories to transform someone else. That's how He uses our brokenness, if we love Him. And we say, God, even the brokenness can be used for your purpose. Help me not to just get caught up in the broken. But Lord, let me heal. And then use that brokenness for your glory in my life and somebody else's. Listen, we can can love God this morning because we know that he moves toward us in relationship and that he's trustworthy. Here's maybe my favorite reason that we can love God, because he first loved us. He first loved us, right? First John 4, 9 through 10, and then verse 19 says this, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We love because he first loved us. He first loved us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We love God because he first loved us. Now listen, this morning, if you're struggling with your own heart and whether or not you love God, you're saying, I hear you, but I I wouldn't say that right now I'm just, I love God. I just wouldn't say that. If If that's you this morning, I promise you, here's the problem. If you can't truly see clearly a love for God and a life lived in love with God, it's because you haven't fully grasped the weight of His love for you. Listen. He loves you. We couldn't say it enough. He loves you. He loves you so much that He gave His only Son to die for you. And if we have a love problem with God, it's because we don't understand and we don't feel the gravity, the weight of the reality that he loves us. Because when he loves us and we get it, we say, oh God, oh God, what you've given me. You know, One of my favorite places to, to speak or sing is in prisons. I think I may have told you this before. I love singing in prisons, speaking in prisons. Because those people know they've messed up. And they know you know they've messed up. Right? So there's no pretense. There's no like, hey, I think I can hide it, he doesn't know my story. No, we're in prison. I know this person's sitting here, there's something that didn't go well, right? And so when they worship, they worship all out. They sing with all their lungs and they they talk back in the message because All they have to hold on to and hope is the hope they have in Jesus. I think they've understood, they've taken in the gravity of His love for us. Here's another reason that we love God. This is what I like to call gravy. This is not the reason we serve God right? This is not the reason. i tell you what, I did this, this residency recently. You know, I did a seven-month church planting residency, and it was awesome. And I would have, I, would, I don't tell them this, but I would have paid a lot of money to be in it probably. I mean, it's very highly selective. I was the lucky one to get in there, right? Though I don't believe in luck. I think the Lord kind of opened up a little space and let me sneak in there. I was very blessed, but I found out like right before it began That not only did I not have to pay for it, but they were going to pay my expenses to be in it. What? And they were going to give me a little stipend to help for expenses if we had child care or other issues when I was out of town. It was like that was gravy, right? This is great. I mean, it was enough that it was going to be an amazing program, but the fact that you're going to help me along the way, it's beautiful. That's the same thing that God does with us. Sometimes we love God because he rewards us. Hebrews eleven six 6 says this, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He rewards us. James 1, 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he, stood, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. In the middle of your trial, in the middle of your test, in the middle of the struggle, hang on, because he's going to reward you with the crown of life. And this is maybe my favorite, right? 1 Corinthians 2, 9, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Mm. He moves towards us in relationship. He's a trustworthy God, and that's one of the reasons we love him. He loved us first, and he rewards us. So here's the the question that we leave today with. What is it supposed to look like? What does it look like for a church to love God? South City Church exists to love God. What does that mean? What does it mean for Drew to love God, right? Well, one thing I can tell you that... I've been married for 23 and a half years, 24 in June. Um, And she's so easy to love. And it's, I mean, she's an amazing woman. You know her as I do. But if I had stood, actually we stood right in this area and we made our commitment to love each other all those years ago. If I had told her on that day, June 18th, 1994, hey, Lori, I love you. And then a month or two later or a year or two or 10, cheated on her, was unfaithful to her, didn't serve her, didn't help our family, didn't help with the kids, had my own interests in mind. If I did everything contrary to love her, would I love her? It's so easy to say love, oh, I love you, I love this, I love that. Love is not what we say, it's what we do. It's not our promises, it's not our words, it's not our songs. It's in our songs, right? It's not even our good intentions. Love is what we do. I think the first thing we could see if we were going to be a church that loves God, if we're going to be a church that loves God, I think we're going to see gratitude and worship. Gratitude and worship when you truly understand that he has first loved us and you hold the weight of that. Our first response should be, oh God, thank you. And our thank you should turn to worship. And our worship is not just, did I sing at the service, right? Worship is, here's the definition of worship, you ready? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's worship. So when we sing, do you sing with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? When you serve, when you love your family, when you work, when you do everything about your life, do you do it that way? Here's the other thing that I think happens for us. I said this last week. It is, according to Jesus, it is his definition of love. Do you obey me? Obedience. We love God with gratitude and worship and obedience. John 14, 15, John 14, 21, John 15, they all speak of our loving him with how we live, decisions we make. We're going to keep what he's asked us to keep. As, as I said last week, from Luke six, why do you why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I want you to do? You can't be both. You can't do both. Hmm. Hebrews twelve twenty eight says this: Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Or Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What's What's your love look like for Jesus today? When you hear the words of Jesus, and ultimately the words of Moses, ultimately the words of God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. I don't know about you, but I, I, I hear that and I go, Lord, I think I've been trying to make some space for me. I think I've been trying to make some space for my opinion and my preference my desire, and I haven't filled these things up completely with you, and I want to. Would you pray with me this morning? And before we pray, I just want to ask you this question, listen, I want you to know that you can't love God if you don't know him. There's no way that I could love my wife if I had never met her, right? And in the same way this morning, if you've never met, if you've never trusted Jesus to be your Savior, then you can't love Him. So I just ask you this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, do you know Him? Listen, don't be ashamed here, but be truthful with your own heart. Ask yourself this question, do I know? Jesus. Have I trusted my life, my all, my everything to Jesus? If for some reason right now you're saying in your heart, Drew, I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure I've ever made that commitment. Would you be honest enough? We try to be an honest place around here. Would you be honest enough just to slip up your hand and say, I'm not sure. Would you pray for me? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come down here. If you just say, I'm not sure if I know the Lord, would you just raise your hand? Thanks. Anybody else? Don't be ashamed. It's okay. Once you put it up, you can put it right back down. Anybody else? Okay. And maybe this morning you're just saying, listen, I I do know him, but I sure have not loved him with my everything. I sure have not loved him well. I thought love was something I could just say and not something I actually had to do. If that's you this morning and you just want to say, would you pray for me? I want to get this straight in my life, in my relationship with God. Would you just raise your hand up? Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay. Number of hands. Is there something in your life that you love more than him? Because if there is, that's called an idol. And God asks us to confess it and destroy it so that he would have preeminence in our hearts, in our lives, and we would serve him in an undistracted, holistic way. Father God, thank you this morning for your goodness, your kindness. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. Thank you that you love us so very much and that we can love you, God, number one, because this wasn't our idea, it was yours. You move toward us, and as we begin to know you, we realize you're trustworthy. You're a trustworthy God, and you want to use broken things and broken people. And God, then we learn that you first loved us, that you reward those who seek you, who love you, and that you can even use the messed up pieces of who we are for your glory, for our good. God, would you do that this morning? Would you do that this morning? Father, we love you, but we, want, we don't want to just say those words. It's so easy, God, even for me just to pray that and kind of not think about what it means. But Lord, this morning, would you help resonate in our hearts a true definition of what love is? Oh God, my prayer that South City Church would be a place that loves God. A group of people who've made a commitment to follow Jesus, though none go with me, even if that's the case, still I will follow. I have decided to follow Jesus. Those people at South City Church, they love God. Lord, let that be the case. Let it be true of us. And even now as we sing, as we pray, Lord, if you're speaking to hearts, if you're moving in our our service this morning, God, would you complete the work that you've begun? And would you give us the courage to speak openly and honestly, genuinely with you, that you would make a genuine change in our lives? Oh, we need you, Lord. We need you, and we want to learn what it means to love you. It's in your precious name that we pray.